From VT Digger, I'm Mike Doherty. This is The Deeper Dig. This week, new models show social distancing measures could help COVID-19 cases in Vermont peak as early as this month. But officials and experts warn that those restrictions will need to stay in place long after the worst has passed. Our data reporter, Aaron Patenko, has been watching the numbers. I'm about to start my recording. Great. Let me know when you're rolling. Okay. Okay. Great. We were on this briefing call where a number of state officials ran through a whole series of statistical projections and models of what the next several weeks of this outbreak might look like here in Vermont. What was your overall takeaway from that conversation? I took away that if this doesn't get very bad, that will be very good. And if this gets very bad, this will be very bad. What do you mean? Well, there's almost always in these projections, they say under a best case scenario, there will be X number of cases. Under a worst case scenario, there will be Y number of cases. And Y is usually bigger. You know, obviously the worst case scenario always looks really bad in terms of you know, we're going to overrun our hospitals and so many people are going to die. But don't worry, because we don't know that the worst case scenario is going to happen and it's probably not going to happen. So I could definitely see why an average person would look at these things, because I do, and go, well, what does this mean about what is going to happen? What is the coulds and shoulds turn into the will and won't? The situation that we are all dealing with is obviously a very fluid one. Um, And the projections that we have run, uh, the the projections that we were reviewing a week ago, uh, or even just a few days ago, uh, are looking uh, very differently uh, than they do today. Where does it seem like, at least according to what these state officials told us, where does it seem like we are in terms of a best case scenario versus Mm -hmm. a worst case scenario? Mm Mm-hmm. So this model also was kind of time traveling because they presented it yesterday, but they put it together last week. So last week, based on the data they had, they created a likely scenario that will occur in Vermont based on the current data. Now, just since this time, so much of the data has changed that even state officials are saying, actually, we think we're going to do better than our likely scenario which is good news. But again, something could change the next week and we might start to fall off track. We are seeing an impact early on. That impact can be magnified and improved and we can see even greater reduction in the weeks ahead. So that is the message we wanna make sure people drive home, that there is a improvement, that that improvement, however, can change considerably if people change their habits. We're not out of the woods yet. The worst is ahead of us. We anticipate a peak sometime uh, in the middle to late uh, uh, April or early May time period. So we really need people to be vigilant and to carry through with the social distancing that has shown some early glimmers of hope. So what does that translate to in terms of all those bad things I talked about, about hospitals and capacity and things? Well, they admitted that under that likely case scenario, we will have too many patients in our ICUs and we will probably have too many patients on ventilators with the current healthcare capacity we have. 
if we keep on the current projection, we'll be close. But right now we're projecting there's the possibility that there we will outstrip our ventilator capacity. That's why we have 452 that have been ordered, uh, plus a FEMA request for ventilators. Uh, the first but a whole nother variable in here is how can we as a state increase our capacity and uh, get more space in our ICU, get more ventilators, get more staff, more PPE, and um, get prepared for this virus and then raise that capacity so we never have to worry about going over it. So you're saying that the likely scenario, it's kind of in line with this slowing growth that we're already starting to see. But that still means that we have some potential shortages on the horizon. Yeah. We are doing everything we can to increase our hospital resources, but we really need people to continue to do their social distancing habits. The best case scenario, which they say we could even still hit, we would never hit the limits of our hospital capacity. Uh, so that's good news. They've, they really do think it's feasible that none of this bad stuff will happen. Although, unfortunately, people will still get sick, even under a best-case scenario. Sure. And then under the likely scenario, which is still preliminary and slightly out of date, we would be somewhat over our hospital capacity at the very peak of the virus. Got it. One thing I'm curious about is testing. We've reported just in the past couple of weeks that based on what epidemiologists know about how this spreads and how limited the testing has been so far, that there's likely a lot more people out there who are infected than we even really know about, you know, more than just those confirmed cases. How are we able to use the data that we have to extrapolate these kinds of projections, knowing that there may be kind of an unknown number of people out there that maybe actually are infected? Yeah, it's kind of a strange way of estimating cases because they're saying, well, we don't know the total number of cases, but we think we know how much we don't know. Hmm. We know how much we're testing compared to other states, and we know how many of those tests test positive. So we kind of have an idea of how many more cases are out there compared to our testing levels. As you know, all week, since the end of last week, I've been advocating for um, as much testing as possible in symptomatic individuals. And um, we've seen a nice response to that, although I think it could be even more exuberant, to be honest. Um, they also say that their so testing rate is relatively steady and relatively high. Uh, they do have one of the highest testing rates in the nation. I do also wonder, though, what that testing divide breaks down into by region of the state, which could, of course, if there's under-testing going on in one particular county or one particular city, it could be harder to miss the beginnings of an outbreak in that particular area. Are there other big unknowns here? Are there other things that the data that we do have might not really be able to tell us? Absolutely. I mean, a lot of what this model is based on is research coming out about how the coronavirus spreads. You know, if one person gets it, this is how many people they'll pass it to. If this person gets it, you know, this is a chance they'll get hospitalized. Mm -hmm. And they said they pulled that data from uh, different countries across the world, uh, China, Italy, and probably some preliminary U.S. data. I don't remember if they mentioned that. But uh, even that research is early. Even that research is changing. There's 
still research coming out about what the death rate could be or how much transmission is going on. So those changes in the numbers could have an effect on how effective this model is. Got it. The other unknown here, and we do have the beginnings of some of this data, is how well Vermonters comply with social distancing rules. Because if they comply with them really well, it will slow down how much a positive case can infect other people. But if they don't, it'll spread far more. We have some early data uh, that I've pulled and that the state has pulled showing that this seems to be working pretty well. Mm -hmm. The state acted early and uh, they believe that Vermonters are traveling a lot less than they were. But we are going to see the full effects of the social distancing rules for a couple of weeks because it takes time for cases to appear. It takes time for people to become symptomatic and it takes time for people to get tested and get the results back. So we're also on a little bit of a time delay. Got it. When we come back, why public health experts say we can't jump the gun on easing social distancing. Just a quick message from our underwriters. Casella Waste Systems provides waste and recycling services for homes, businesses, and organizations throughout Vermont and the Northeast. With a focus on recycling sustainability and environmental protection, Casella ensures that proper collection, renewal, and disposal of discarded materials keep our communities clean while extending the value of your unwanted items. Fun fact, last year, Casella recovered over 2.4 billion pounds of recyclables. To learn more, visit casella.com or call 1-800-CASELLA. Hi. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you just great. This week, I caught up with Dr. Jan Carney. She's the Associate Dean for Public Health at UVM, and she was Vermont's health commissioner throughout the 1990s. In other words, she teaches epidemiology. We're hearing those words, those two words, public health, almost every day now. The, the language of public health is really epidemiology. So you're here by hearing about this in the pandemic setting, but the work of epidemiologists sort of day to day in every community in America and, and across the globe is something that remains uh, often invisible until something happens. And then you sort of see a little bit more behind the scenes about what they're doing and, and how they're doing it. and and why they're doing it. And and that's very much in the forefront today. And so in terms of where we are right now, when you look at those trends, when you look at where the numbers are going, what are you seeing right now? I'm seeing here in the state of Vermont, across our, our uh, entire country, growing numbers. And they're growing at different rates. For example, the situation in New York right next to us is extraordinarily serious. We're also seeing high rates in Washington, and we've been hearing about that. Mm -hmm. and uh, California, and also the South. You look at the trend, and the trend is up, all right? And so, and likewise, the state of Vermont. And so, as I'm thinking about this, it's kind of like, what do we do? Who do we work with? What exactly do we do? And what can individuals do? And one of the things I've been talking about on a daily basis has been the science behind these social distancing recommendations. Mm -hmm. You know, do they really work? And is that our best uh, protection. You hear a lot about what well, the concerns in the healthcare setting. We're going to run out of hospital beds and critical care beds and, and access to healthcare, and those preparations are being made. But in public health, on the prevention side, I think the science of social distancing is really compelling. And I can tell you a little bit about why I think that works. Um, and some of the lessons are from a different 
infection, but one that we have a lot of evidence about what happened, which was the pandemic flu of 1918 and 19. Hmm. And there was a, a couple of studies that I talked about, but one was that and they did a study of that, that pandemic and they looked at different mortality rates in United States cities. And they looked at about uh, more than 20% of US cities. And they found that there were differences in those actions that were taken. The ones that did the school closures, the isolation, and they also did the stopping the public events had a, a reduction in deaths and, and serious outcomes from that pandemic that was different from the ones that didn't. I think that's a lesson that lasts over a hundred years. Wow. So you're saying what we're doing right now is directly related to evidence based on what happened back in 1918. Yeah. And there's more, there's more evidence from this current COVID-19 pandemic, but we know from over a hundred years ago that those strategies were very effective in in reducing the most serious outcomes best from that pandemic. Now, everything's relative. So I'm not saying that the time place, the times from 100 years ago are 100% directly relevant right now, but Mm. the principle, I think, is the same. So they were able to do that social distancing over a period of, in that study, it was about 10 weeks, and that showed a dramatic difference. So, you know, what does that mean right now? Well, they we're looking at, and some of the, the recent papers that are coming out, and also the modeling that's coming out is from the countries who have already experienced it or experienced past the peak of this. And it's not just the government, what the government is saying, it's it's what individuals do. And it just, it, to me, it's, it makes, it's kind of common sense, right? If you are staying apart from other people and you might be coming down with a viral illness, well, you're not gonna spread it to somebody else, right? Or, or if you're already sick and you're you're apart from other people, that reduces the number of people you spread that infection to. So these kind of social distancing principles that we're doing like right now here in Vermont, they protect ourselves, they protect our families, they protect our friends, they protect the people we work with, and they have a huge impact on disease rates in the community. How do you know when to put these social distancing restrictions in place? You know, when you look at how Vermont has rolled out these different restrictions, how do you know when on that curve is kind of the sweet spot for for when you can do this and really make the most impact? My short answer to that is the sooner the better and keep them in place as long as practically possible. So no one knows exactly how long that is. The value of doing it early is that you've already, you're in a position where you know that things are getting far worse in other areas to stop that from happening. So it gives you the potential for prevention. So as an example, what we did here in the state of Vermont, I thought was really, really good. It was strong. It was expanded. It was uh, across the board. It was those exact same kind of social distancing strategies that we know work all the way from that 1918 pandemic. Mm-hmm. And we're and we continue to uh, repeat them. People seem to be listening. Um, if you go out, many places are far less crowded, and we're telling people to do their best to stay at home. In terms of where we are right now, 
It does feel like we've entered a little bit of a new phase of this crisis where the restrictions have been put in place. Everyone has at least started to adjust to them. Um, We've gotten used to social distancing. It's kind of entered everyone's vocabulary at this point. And it does feel like we have sort of reached a new chapter in, in where we're at. And I'm curious, what is the next shift on the horizon? Like, what is the next phase of what this crisis looks like here in Vermont and in the U.S.? I think it's really hard on a personal and individual family community level to see what's happening across the country and things getting worse and to remain confident and rest assured that what they're doing, they need to keep doing that. And so stay in the course, you know, everybody all in on this and reassuring each other and supporting each other staying physically apart from other people for a little longer than we might have thought we were going to have to do it when we started. You know, some of the public messages to say, keep staying distant, keep staying apart from other people, but keep connecting with people. Make sure you remember the rest of your health. And so we have to figure out different ways to, while this is happening, to stay healthy in other ways we can still go outside right when the weather gets nice that's something that's a real positive Uh, we're finding ways to connect with people keeping up with school but i think staying the course and being comfortable with that and and sort of knowing deep inside that this is absolutely going to help us yeah but you're saying we might not see some kind of major turning point in the way that this is developing for quite a while I think we, I can't predict that. I don't think anybody can predict that. I think we see the trends and nobody quite knows when that's going to peak. I think what we can be confident in is if everyone in their respective roles is part of being socially, physically apart, but socially connected to people, if we're able to maintain that for the long term, we will watch. There will be serious outcomes, but we'll spare thousands and thousands of people from those. When do you start to get signals that this might be coming to an end? What kind of things do you look for, whether it's statistical or anecdotal or otherwise? I'm looking at the World Health Organization, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, and the Department of Health, of course, as the major sources. The New England Journal of Medicine is puts out regular articles that are publishing results of what's happened in other countries who have already gone past the peak. I think everyone is looking at those and their experience. Um, how fast did that happen? Um, what did they do? And is there anything we can learn from them? And I think you watch that. There are certain countries in Europe, as an example, that are doing more poorly than others. And everybody is following kind of that sequence here in our country. When, when something peaks, you know, what are people doing? How well are they doing it? What can we learn so that we can benefit right here in our own state, our own community? You, it sounds like you're saying it's a little bit too early to even know what those signals are going to be. We can look at the data at, from the CDC website and look at their maps. And I, and I have great confidence in how they do their jobs. And, and we can look at similar findings here in the Department of Health. When we start to see there's a peak and, and now, now there is the serious outcomes or the people testing positive are starting to go down. That's what people are looking for. The other thing is that even when we watch those curves and we might see them start to come down and we go, oh, and we relax a little bit, we still 
may need to maintain the social distancing for a while longer. Some of the newer data that's coming out is saying we, we're going to have to be really careful to make sure things are really at a low level. Once we start to see a small decline, everyone wants to go outside, but just pause for a minute and wait and wait for those recommendations because if we open up everything we did too quickly is there a worry that we could see some more disease coming back i mean wait and see i think we have to wait and see and follow that we'll, we'll have plenty of uh, information from the cdc our own health department we're learning more and more every day about the experience from other countries what people are doing in in our state and i think we have to be, we do have to be patient and, 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 and wait to see and make sure that we can go about our lives in the same way. You know, we'll start adjusting our, our, our sort of time frame based upon what we're seeing on the ground. We're not, we're not going to ease up if there are, you know, indications that we, we need to keep the restrictions on. At the same time, Believe me, as soon as we're confident that we can um, start releasing some of these restrictions, we will. But I can't, I can't put a time frame on that right now. We know the peak. One thing I heard officials really stress yesterday was how new mm -hmm. this problem is, how they've really never seen anything like this, both in state government and just in general. I just want to reframe everybody um, because we tend to think of this as a hurricane or a natural disaster like an earthquake or something like that uh, where you can set up triage sites for the for the injured this planning is very very different this is a very complex a, a medical emergency where some patients will need days of care including in the ICU and when ventilators and some may not the hospitals are like i said are our front line of defense and the state is working hand in hand with our hospitals and our healthcare system to support them and add capacity. Aaron, I wonder why should people trust these types of statistical models when it feels like this is something that none of us have ever really had the opportunity to analyze before? Why does it seem like these numbers are really going to be able to indicate what happens next? Well, I think that when it comes to trusting the models, it kind of depends on what you should trust the models for. Um, if you're trusting the models to say for certain what date you can go back to being in business or for certain exactly how many cases there will be or how much staff you will need, uh, you'll probably be wrong because, again, this is completely unprecedented and there is so much we don't know. I can't blame the state for, for trying, though, because one thing that we can use these models for is to plan. We can't say for certain we will have this many cases, but we can plan to have that many cases just in case it comes true. We can plan to take action to prevent the spread of the virus based on those different scenarios. And hey, maybe we'll take those actions and we'll do a really good job and everyone will say, wow, why did you say there'd be so many cases? That didn't happen at all. But that's better <laughs> than the alternative of it being a lot worse than we expected. So it is right. good that they are putting those worst case scenarios out there and planning for them. And we are preparing for the worst modeling that we have done. So the worst case scenario, we are buying 
uh, hundreds of ventilators and millions of pieces of personal protective equipment in case the models uh, go in a different direction than they're going now. I will say this, if you're listening right now and you find that reading about these models and looking at these models and talking about them makes you feel really anxious, I am there with you. I mean, sometimes <laughs> I am crunching the numbers and I get really into it and, I, and then I step back and I feel like a chill come over me of, you know, I feel like I signed the death warrant of, of the people that are written into this model. It's like... Mm. Uh, all of our uncertainty and fear about the future for our entire lives compressed into this like one three-week time span. <laughs> <laughs> Don't feel bad for wanting to step back from all this sciencey talk and think about, well, you know, there are real people and lives affected and that's really hard. Thanks, Erin, for your time. I really appreciate right. it. Thank you. You can find all of Aaron's data-driven reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic at vtdigger.org. While you're there, check out an extended video interview with Jan Carney and find all of our coronavirus coverage at vtdigger.org coronavirus. You're listening to The Deeper Dig, a weekly podcast from the VT Digger newsroom. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and you'll get new episodes as soon as they land. We used music this week by Blue Dot Sessions and Lee Rosevere. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger Newsroom. Have a nice weekend. <laughs>